Chapter 11. The Life of George Washington in Words of One Syllable by Josephine Pollard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of George Washington in Words of One Syllable by Josephine Pollard. Chapter 11. A Sad Year. Christmas night was the time set to cross the Delaware and at sunset the troops were on the move. It was a dark, cold night. The wind was high, the tide strong, and the stream full of cakes of ice which drove the boats out of their course. It seemed at times as if the boats would be crushed to bits. Men who were used to boats, and had been brought up on the sea and fought with fierce storms and wild gales, found it hard work, with all their skill, to make their way from shore to shore. Washington, who crossed with the troops, stood on the east bank till all the field guns were brought to land, and it was four o'clock ere the men took up their line of march. Trenton was nine miles off, and they could not reach there till daylight, too late to take the king's troop off their guard. Most of the troops at Trenton were Hessians from Hesse, a small German state whose prince had lent his troops to King George for hire. As I have told you, they were in charge of Rahl, Rahl thought more of his brass band than he did of his men, was full of good cheer and liked to have a good time. He would sit up till a late hour in the night and then lie in bed till nine o'clock the next day. The one who leads troops to war should be like a watchdog, quick to see and to hear all that goes on, and to be on guard at all times. Each day he had the guns drawn out and dragged through the town, just to make a stir and have the band out. But when the major told him that he should have earthworks thrown up on which to place the guns, he said, Pooh, pooh, let the foe come on. We'll charge on them with the bayonet. But, Herr Colonel, said the old major, it costs not much, and if it does not help, it will not harm. But Rahl laughed, as if he thought it a good joke, turned on his heel and went off, and the works were not thrown up. On this night, too, there was a great stir in the camp at Trenton for the men did their best to keep Christmas, and their thoughts were of home and the dear ones there. They made what cheer they could, and did not dream that the foe was so near. A storm of hail and snow set in as soon as our troops took up their march. They could scarce see their way through the sleet they had to face. The night was so cold that two of the men froze to death. At dawn of day some of the men came to a halt at a crossroad, where they did their best to dry their guns. But some were past use, and word was sent to Washington of the state of their arms. They were in doubt what to do. Washington, in a burst of rage, bade the men to go back to his chief at once and tell him to push on and charge if he could not fire. At eight o'clock, Washington drew near the town at the head of his troops. He went up to a man who had come out to chop wood by the roadside and asked him where the guard was who stood out at eight o'clock washington drew near the town at the head of his troops he went up to a man who had come out to chop wood by the roadside and asked him where the guard was who stood at the outpost of rawls camp the man said in a harsh voice i don't know you may tell him said one of our men who stood near for that is general washington at once a great change came o'er the man to whom washington spoke he raised his hands and cried, God bless you, God bless you, and then showed where the guards could be found. 
Soon was heard the cry from Rawls' men, The foe! The foe! Turn out! Turn out! Drums beat to arms. The whole place was in a stir. Washington came in on the north, Sullivan on the west, and Stark at the south end of the town. Rawls scarce knew how to act. He rode to the front of his troops and got them out of the town. Then he seemed to feel that it was a shame to fly in that way, for he was a brave man. So he led his men back in a wild dash out of the woods and into the town to meet the foe. In the midst of the fight, a shot struck him, and he fell from his horse. The troops would heed no voice but that of their chief, and fled up the banks of a creek on the way to Princeton. Washington saw the stir and thought they had wheeled to form a new line. He was told that they had laid down their arms, and his joy was great. The day was ours, but for the wild flight of Rawls' men, it would have gone hard with our troops. Washington did not know it at the time, but he found out that Ewing and Putnam had tried to cross the stream, but were kept back by the ice, and he with his raw troops would, he was sure, have been put to rout had Rawl and his men been on their guard. The poor Major, who had in vain urged Rawl to throw up breastworks, had a bad wound of which he died in Trenton, and Rawl himself, to whom the Redcoats owed their ill luck, was laid to rest in a graveyard in that town. And where was General Howe all this time? In New York, where he thought to take his ease till the Delaware froze so that his troops could cross. He was much shocked at the news that the Hessians, who had been brought up to war, should have laid down their arms for a troop of raw men in rags. He sent Lord Cornwallis back to take Jersey, and as he said, to bag the fox. By the 3rd of January, Redcoats, with Cornwallis at their head, were near at hand. Washington was in a tight place, with a small creek twixt his few raw troops and the large force of the foe. Back of him lay the Delaware, which it was now not safe to cross. In this dark hour a gleam of hope came to his mind. He saw a way out of the trap, and that was by a quick night march to get at the rear of the king's troops, dash on the camp at Princeton, seize the stores that were left there, and push on to New Brunswick. A thaw had set in which made the roads deep with mire, but in the course of the night the wind veered to the north, and in two hours the roads were once more hard and frost-bound. That the foe might not guess his plan, Washington bade some of his men to keep at work with their spades on their pits near the bridge. Go the rounds, change guards at each bridge and ford, and keep up campfires till daybreak, when they were to join those on the way to Princeton. In the dead of night, Washington drew his troops out of camp, and the march took place. The road which they had to take was cut through woods, and the stumps of trees made the march a slow one so that it was near sunrise when Washington came to the bridge at the brook three miles from Princeton. As our troops left the woods, they came face to face with a force of redcoats, and a sharp fight took place, which did not last long. Washington was in the midst of it, in the heat of the fight. His aide-de-camp lost sight of him in the dusk and smoke. The young man dropped the reins on the neck of his horse, drew down his cap to hide the tears in his eyes, and gave him up for lost. When he saw Washington come out of the cloud with his hat raised and the foe in flight, he spurred up to his side. Thank God you were safe, cried he. 
Away and bring up the troops, said Washington. The day is our own. At daybreak, when General Howe thought to bag his fox, he found the prize had slipped from his grasp, and soon learned that the king's troops had lost their hold on New Jersey. The fame of Washington and of the brave deeds of those who fought to be free went across the sea and made friends for him and the cause. Not a few came to their aid. One of these brave souls was a Pole, whose name was Kosciuszko. The commander-in-chief said to him, What do you seek here? To fight for the cause you have at heart. What can you do? Try me. This style of speech and the air of the man pleased Washington so well that he at once made him an aide-de-camp. This was in 1777. He served the cause well and went back to his own land in 1786 with the rank of Brigadier General. In 1777, Lafayette came from France to join the troops led by Washington. He had wealth and high rank in his own land, and had lived but a score of years. He left his young wife and the gay court of France and made his way to America to do what he could to aid the foes of King George. He came, he said, to learn and not to teach, and would serve without pay, and as one who came of his own free will. He soon won his way to the heart of Washington, and a strong bond of love grew up twixt the two, which naught but death could break. In the meantime, the whole of our land south of the Great Lakes was a scene of strife and bloodshed, and it was hard work for our troops to keep the Redskins and Redcoats at bay. I have not space to tell you of all the fights that took place, nor the ways in which Washington sought to vex the King's troops. On the 3rd of October of this year, 1777, we find him at Germantown, where the main force of the Redcoats were in camp. His plan was to drive them out, but though his troops fought with much skill and in the midst of a dense fog, they were forced back and the day was lost. The ships of war in the Delaware led Washington to think that Lord Howe meant to turn his guns on Philadelphia, and his mind was filled with doubts and fears. In the same month, word came to him that Burgoyne, who was at the head of the king's troops in the north, had been forced to yield to General Gates at Fishkill. This was such a blow to the king's cause that the troops at West Point and elsewhere on the Hudson, who were to have gone to the aid of Burgoyne, left the forts and made their way to New York. End of chapter 11